It's your main man, Knuckles, and it's SideQuest Enthusiasts. Are you ready to go in space? Help me get the emeralds. It's like, it's Kyle B. Hiller, your co-host this week for SideQuest Enthusiasts, also known as SQE, a video game podcast for you and yours. And I am joined by Mina Rankins. Hey. How are you? I am delighted to be here. How are you? I'm great. I'm feeling good. Um, I'm really excited. And the reason why I put Knuckles in this shout out here, because one, I love the Sonic Adventure soundtrack because it's just like Knuckles rapping the whole time. And it's great. And I'm really excited because my friend Porkchop, who also did the intro music for SQE, is maybe, I may be uh, snagging his Dreamcast and his games off of him. And I'm really excited about that because I've never played on the Dreamcast. Um, I had a friend who had a Dreamcast, and I would go hang out with them and play a lot of Worms Armageddon on there. I think Worms Armageddon was the one that was on there, but um, <laughs> and a bunch of other fighting games. But I've always wanted a Dreamcast, and I'm really excited about this. And if this comes in time for Christmas, it'll be the perfect way to close out the year of our Lord of <laughs> 2020. <laughs> I was trying to think of a video game <laughs> deity real quick there, but I couldn't. And I, I feel terrible. And I know it's going to hit me later. But Appropriate that yes. Doom came out this year because it felt like the whole year was leading up to it. Yo, real rap. So <laughs> that was one of the last things I got to play at PAX East this year, which is a thing that we did um, in person with a ton of people around as Boston like that and was getting the first COVID case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we survived it. And I think I, I really want a t-shirt after all this, but I just remember playing doom eternal towards the end of that and just feeling, I really felt like something was off in the world as I was playing doom eternal. And I don't really know what that was, but pardon the pun here. I actually don't pardon it, but, there was this sense of gloom and doom. Wow. Boo. Boo. <laughs> Puns all day, baby. Let's go. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There was, I, I really, I really, I don't know how I feel about that in general. And just, I don't know. I felt like there was a, a little sense of prodigy in there for me that this is going to be our world in the future. And I know. I don't want it. <laughs> but anyway, is there... A game console that you would love to, like a retro one that you would love to kind of have. And it could be as retro as the Commodore 64 or the PS3. Wow. Um, I mean, just for the purpose of nostalgia, the Game Boy Color, because okay. I want to have color. First of all, it physically was colorful. They came out with like the most amazing colors on that. Uh, on the Game Boy Color, like the the bright green, the, like the neon highlighter green, and like the the like painfully pink pink, um, and then the cool the really cool um, like see through purple one that looked like the purple Gatorade. Um, they were just the coolest, and I would I would love to have one. I don't think that I have my old Game Boy Color. I think my mother may have thrown it out when I was like a teenager. But just like that was the first console I ever had. I thought it was the coolest thing. I still kind of think it was. Uh, and it's just like what other console came out in so uh, Switch. 
I've just played myself. But what other <laughs> consoles since the Switch has like so many like cool color options that are like the default um, and also had so many like iconic games on it? What about you? Um, the N64 had a bunch of colors. Oh, I always don't, wanted... don't out me as someone who didn't game, Kyle, on our gaming podcast. No, 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 no. But I mean, not for nothing. I'd imagine <laughs> not a lot of people even knew that there were colorful versions of the n64 i i always wanted the um there was a pikachu one that was super bright yellow and just looked like it was a pikachu and i think that one came out for pokemon snap especially which we're getting a pokemon snap soon hopefully next year and um i don't know i always wanted one i had just the traditional black one actually i have had two i bought another n64 recently about two or three years ago at a thrift shop because my old one didn't work anymore it only played some games and i needed to play some mario kart because that's my whole jam and we talked about earlier that we're going to teach you how to power slide how to power slide i know how to power slide i'm just not like good at staying on the track when i power slide i think Okay, so I play Mario Kart 8 with my cousins every Thursday night, and I've con- I'm convinced that Mario Kart 8 just isn't... You really have to practice with that game. And I think it's the first Mario Kart that I've played, and I've played pretty much all of them that... Or maybe I, I, I practiced without really realizing I was practicing because I was younger and had much more free time than what I do now, but I just get so angry because I feel so out of control with, I can run, I can have a perfect race, and I'm still ending up in fourth, fifth, or sixth. And I just feel so incompetent. And I just wonder if that's just me becoming this older gamer, which, you know, maybe my reflexes are going away. And Kyle, you're like not that, 80. I don't know. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm an old man. I'm but retiring. I'm my thumbs, they no longer function. I can no longer hit the joystick. I mean, maybe. I don't know. When 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 you go to a Smash Brothers tournament and you get schooled by a 15-year-old, I mean schooled. I had no chance. And I that mean, was pretty much the end of my competitive <laughs> career. I mean, yeah, getting schooled by a 15-year-old would probably end any adult's career just from, you know, God, I got schooled by a 15-year-old. But also, like, that kid has a lot more free time than you do as an adult. Uh-huh. I have 250 hours in Smash Brothers. That kid probably has about 5,000. I'm not gonna lie to you, Kyle. They they have school and then they have like <laughs> homework that they're ignoring because they're kids. And then like, what else do they have? Whereas we have like jobs and responsibilities, and we have to go get the groceries and like pay our bills. Um, I mean, not for nothing. Kids shouldn't have homework because if it's not being taught at school, then what are you doing? And that's not the study show that homework doesn't help. That's, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's taken away from my time for Mario Kart. Um, but I think the, the the console that I would love besides Dreamcast is actually not a console, but I always wanted a Game Boy camera and a Game Boy printer. I never got to have those. And I, I feel like there's an aesthetic to those that would be appealing now in the same way that Polaroid cameras had a comeback in the mid-2010s. I want a Game Boy printer and a Game Boy Color, and I'm looking them up on eBay right now as we speak. And I'm finding some for less than 30 bucks, and I may have to buy myself one in addition to a Game Boy. And I gave, I gave when I moved out of my mom's house, I gave a whole bunch of games and, and my old consoles to all the kids that were living on my block. And there was a part of me that was like, no, don't do this. You're going to regret it. But then I'm also like, man, I hope those kids found some joy in those games and those toys that I gave them because 
again, I didn't grow up being able to have all the stuff that I wanted. And, right. you know, I think that's really dope. But I just, I would like to know, like, what do they do with it? What games did they like? Did they, did they, did any of them latch on to gaming at all after that? You know, I hope I put some sort of force of energy into the world with my charitable donations <laughs> to the game. Yeah. I mean, um, um does your doesn't your mom still live there? I mean, you could probably ask uh, if if the families are there as well. They, you could ask them. You're right. Or you could ask your mom if you ever heard if you I ever heard about it. That. I could do that. I feel like I should I should I should do a survey because I'm not. I, I just moved recently and I'm not that far. I'm like five minutes away from my mom's house. I could I could legit just go ask. Emotionally prepare yourself. Just forget about that. for the possibility that they sold them to buy Fortnite. <laughs> Just like emotionally prepare yourself for that that like possibility where they're just like N sixty four. What's this? I want to play Fortnite because that could have happened. Just like make sure you're ready. And I'm I'm not even mad at that though because good okay it's still game. You know I'm I am not one of I think so I think I talked about this I talked about this with a friend this morning um and I, I think I retweeted it. They had a. This person was talking about how beautiful 16-bit Super Nintendo games were, especially the RPGs like Secret of Mana, uh, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, and I'm forgetting what the fourth one was, but I, I know if I would see it, obviously, but there were comments underneath that tweet that said, I don't know what the one on the bottom left is. And it was probably a younger person on Twitter, if young people are on Twitter, I don't know, I'm old. And they didn't know that that was this iconic scene from Chrono Trigger. And instead of me feeling like, oh, those young whippersnappers don't know they're gaming, <laughs> I see that as an opportunity to just have a conversation about these old school games that I grew up with and have a really fond memory with, especially because we're seeing so many remakes and reboots and, and remasters and re-releases and ports and all that. Video games are different because you can experience them in such a way that there's going to be kids out there that are going to experience Chrono Trigger for the first time. And that was one of the most magical moments for me in my entire life. And I would only love for that to be where it's like, what is that game? Like, oh, let's talk about it. Let's play it. And and the fact that they can play it or even watch other people play it, I think that's really dope. And I hope whoever tweeted that is able to get their hands on that game and play it because Chrono Trigger is amazing. And it has so much to do mm -hmm. with just why I am a writer today. That's awesome. So, Shout out to them. Yeah. yeah, I think that that touches yeah. on a little bit of something that I've struggled with as um, a minority and a woman in certain spaces. Um, and that's just gatekeeping and the way that yes. ha not having an encyclopedic, an encyclopedic knowledge of a topic or a genre or even like a like an individual work um can essentially like mean that you are not welcome in a space because of who uh controls that space or or even positions themselves as an authority in that space even if they really aren't um and in a lot of like nerd and geek culture um like in physical spaces and in chat rooms that has historically been male dominated. And if you don't, if you, if you profess to like something and you're like clearly a woman online or you uh, are like physically in a store, uh, you're going to get the question like, Oh, well, if you're really a fan, do you know X, Y, Z trivia thing? Um, 
And I feel like when it comes to gaming, um, that that applies in a lot of ways too. But also because like gaming is such a time consuming um, hobby. It just it's so time consuming. It's so um, expensive in a way that, you know, you can see Star Wars. Um, I can pirate that online and see it for zero dollars if I want. Or I could like borrow my friends. I can borrow my friends like copy or, you know, whatever. But um, like gaming requires me to download something. Um, You can pirate games, but like a lot of them, like you have to have a certain amount of knowledge to like uh, pirate that and and run it on your computer or whatever. Um, Or you have to buy a system um, and have and then buy the game separately or just buy the game if you have a if you have a PC and just spend hours and hours and hours in that uh, playing those games um, before you are at all familiar with like what is considered the video game canon. And that's so time consuming and so hard and honestly not very desirable if that if like certain games are not something that you're into. Um, so it's just like how do we make that how do we make these spaces more welcoming for people who don't have that background, who are maybe nervous about entering that space because they're worried about being gatekept out? And so I think, Kyle, you have like the exact right um, approach of being like, wow, it's so cool that these people are getting into it. And like, let's welcome these people into the community and give them the like resources and support they need to like become more involved. Because I think I think we're seeing more of that, but um, especially when it comes to, like younger generations. But we need to see more of that laterally, not like let's welcome kids into the space because they're children, but also like let's welcome other adults into the space and not hold them to ridiculously high standards. Absolutely, and I think video games aren't a hobby; they're a lifestyle. You have to choose to commit to being in that in that in that space, and it costs so much. It costs so much time. It costs so much energy to research and figure out what works for you. What do you like? How do you play this? How do, how do you manage a controller if you've never had to um, use um, a controller, especially when you start thinking about having analog sticks on there too, because I grew up on the Super Nintendo and the Game Boy. So getting an N64, I didn't know how to hold that controller. I did the whole claw over the, 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 the analog stick and that's not how you played. And it took me a long time to realize that I was playing it wrong, even though it, I remember not knowing how to do that until I saw something in a uh, Nintendo Power that like showed you, like showed someone playing the game. Like, oh, you're supposed to hold it this way. And <laughs> I had that was such a huge learning curve for me, and especially because I remember getting Wave Race '64 and getting such motion sickness from that game because. That game moved, I guess, fast. It's probably only like 30 frames per second at this point, but it was so different and so fast and so graphically impressive at the time that my body was like, yo, bro, what are you doing staring at the screen as all this stuff is happening? Now I play Wave Race 64, which is something that I do quite regularly because that game is still awesome, 23 years <laughs> um, I don't get motion sickness at all, but I do encounter some games here and there that I, I experience that. And... It's so prohibitive to get into video games. And I feel like we talked about that in the first episode a little bit. But I think it's also a thing, too, in the fact that I wonder if I were younger and when I was younger, if things like YouTube and Twitch existed when I was 9, 10, or 11 playing Chrono Trigger, which is a game that I emulated because I didn't have $79.99 to go buy this game from Funko Land. There was no way in the world my mom was going to let that fly. 
So when I discovered emulation, I was like, oh man, I can play Chrono Trigger. I can play Earthbound. I can play all these other different games that I love today that I still revisit. And a lot of them you can't even really get anymore because you have to pay astronomical amounts of money to get, you know, a, a used copy. And then it's actually kind of hard to emulate games or find ROMs anymore. Um, for a lot of Nintendo-based games, too. It is something to think about. And as we close out the year 2020, which has been a very peculiar year for everyone on the entire planet, (laughs) more or less, um, the Game Awards are coming this week as of this recording. And there are a lot of categories that have a lot of the same five games. And... But also, it's an award show for video games. And I think award shows have this stigma, right? It's just, it feels like it's a popularity contest. It feels like it's just a bunch of people patting each other on the back, yada, yada, yada. I want to believe that the Game Awards are a little bit different. Um, I think it's an opportunity for us to check out new games and all that other stuff. But I do want to go through the categories with you because I know... Nina, you haven't really played any of the games that have been nominated for a lot of these categories. And I kind of want to talk about that because I think as we think about the next year, as we think about what this podcast is going to be and who our audience is and how we want to talk about playing games and what that means, I think it's important to think about what have and what haven't we played and why haven't we played it? And what's our relationship with it? Because I think playing a game can mean more than just picking up the sticks. Right going in on the game um there's so many different ways to experience the game so um let's jump into the categories so we have game of the year um and i'm just going to read off the nominees for everyone listening in podcast land um we have uh doom eternal final fantasy 7 remake ghost of tsushima Hades, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and The Last of Us Part 2, which is, The Last of Us Part 2 is in every single category almost, but um, first impressions, first thoughts, what what do those games say to you? Have you played any of them? Do you have any interest playing in them? Well, Kyle, not to flex on you, I have played Animal Crossing. Okay. Um, I, as, as a quote, as a hashtag real gamer, I have played Animal Crossing. Um. I played it on my f- friend's Switch. Um, thank you, Ira, out in podcast land. And I haven't played Doom or any of these other games. I haven't played The Last of Us Part 1 full through. Um, just because like of of timing. and um, But I've, I've played Animal Crossing. Um, I've heard really good things about all of these games. Um, I don't think I will be playing any of them except for maybe last of us part two. If ever I finish last of us part one, I'm not really into games that are primarily fighting because I'm more of a narrative person. And I may be miscategorizing Hades as that, because I know there's, um, there's a lot more to that. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, side eye our, our bro doom guy, but, um, (laughs) And not to say that also not to say that Animal Crossing is like particularly like has a particularly hard hitting, like deep narrative. Um, But I think it was just because like everybody got Animal Crossing and I was like, 
oh, I can collect fruit. Right. It was, it was, it was a phenomenon. So you, you want to participate in it for sure. And, you know, Tom Nook, he's got to collect his debts. So, you know. Okay. Here's the thing is I am team Tom Nook is a landlord and we should maybe eat him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we should. Because Tom, Tom Nook, like, listen, first of all, homeboy is walking around looking like he is high all the time. I want to know what he's smoking. And then also, I want to know how come he's not, why Why are you so in, in, intent on getting your rent, bro? Like, Why do I have to go in debt to this? This doesn't seem necessary. And, and here's the thing. It sends a bad message to kids. It's like, <laughs> hey, look, just take on a lot of debt and harvest a bunch of tulips and turnips or whatever, and you're good. You're good. And... That's not how the world works, because if it were, my student loan debt would be fine. Hey, kids. Strip this island of all of its natural resources. It'll be fine. You have to do that to pay your debt to this raccoon thing. Uh, tanuki? Right. Tanuki? Tom Nook. No, I, no, I mean what, the, what is, the is animal. He, oh, he's a tanuki. Tanuki. Yeah. You have to, you have to like, raise this island to the ground to for this tanuki and then build houses um, I'm pretty sure there's a book about why that's bad, um, written by Dr. Seuss, just like FYI. <laughs> so let's just let's just call this what it is and call it immoral. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 lesson here is to not go to college, take on virtual debt instead. I just I, I just I I I like it. I'm more of a a Zelda Breath of the Wild person though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How um, about you? Have you played any of these games, Kyle? I have played. I have Hades, haven't opened it yet. Um, I definitely want to spend some time with that game, but I am still working through Fire Emblem Three Houses. I am about 50 hours in, so I think I've only got about 25 hours left through this first playthrough. That's going to be one of my next games, but also in line for that is Ghost of Tsushima, because I don't understand why I haven't played that game yet. I think I'm going to wait for a sale around Christmas time, because pretty much all PS exclusives go on crazy sale around the holidays. So I'm waiting for that. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII Remake, was my jam. I played that for a good 15, 20 hours the weekend that I got it. I could not put it down. And then I put it down for like a month and didn't play it at all because The Last of Us Part Two came out soon after. And boy, that game. I have a lot of thoughts about that game that I'm not gonna really dive too much into, but I think the timing of that game was so impertinent. I mean, I'm pretty sure Naughty Dog and, and, and the crew didn't realize that they would be dropping a game like this during a pandemic. And it's weird when you're playing games like The Last of Us Part Two and it feels eerily close to reality, that really messes with me. And there's some things that that, that narrative does. There is there's, there's a hook that I think a lot of people who have either played the game or have seen spoilers know that, hey, there's something that happens to one of the characters that I did not see coming because I didn't hear the spoilers, had no idea this was going to be a thing. And I have never felt so angry at wow game at a game in in a way that I'm like I'm going to get my revenge. But when it happened, I put my controller down, and I'm just I'm I'm, I'm crying thug tears because I couldn't believe that it happened. And I just I just kind of let the game just sit there for a minute, for a few minutes, because I was just so hard hit by it. And I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't prepared for it. There's nothing you can do about it. There's there's no, you can't reload your save and go back there and save this person because it's inevitable. And I've never been so emotionally wrecked by a game before. 
Wow. Especially early on in the game. This happens in the first third of the game or so. And that game is a masterpiece. I know it's really divisive with a lot of people, but I love it. I've played it twice through. I want to revisit talking about The Last of Us Part 2, but let's jump into the other categories real quick, even though it's pretty much the same as six games. Um, so, best game direction, same thing here, with the exception of Half-Life. Alex is in here, but it's also got Hades, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, um, Last of Us Part 2, Hades. And best narrative, same things, except for 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim from Atlas. I do want to check that game out. It's very... It's definitely a weeb game, but it looks really cool because it's pretty much this mecha, almost end of the world kind of thing with these people that are more real, in a sense. And it's nice to see mm-hmm. sci-fi narratives that have real people in it and really twist itself away from the actual initial premise of the game. Um, I'd never heard of the 13th Sentinels game until um, the Game Awards showed up, which is another thing that I kind of want to touch on. Best Art Direction, same categories, except for, same games, except for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which is also on my backlog. Best Score in Music, um, I think Final Fantasy VII Remake should win that one, because that soundtrack is dope as hell. And I think Last of Us Part Two should win Best Audio Design, although I think Doom Eternal could also move some needles there too um best performance it's just more last of us too um so i wanted to talk about how we play video games right um last of us part two was interesting for me because that was the game that got my partner into games and i did not see that coming interesting because it was one of those things where so I knew that that I, I, I let my partner and I was like, hey, listen, Friday's coming. It's the last of us, part two. That's the first thing I'm doing on Friday. And that's the only thing I'm doing for the whole weekend. Just letting you know now, all my appointments and meetings are canceled. I'm not working. This is Damn. It. This is it. And I figured, you know, she might drop in, watch the first 15 minutes and be gone. But... In that 25-hour game, she was there the entire time watching me play it. And then she goes off and starts playing The Last of Us Part 1 on her own. I walk into the room, and she's playing the game, and I hadn't prompted her to do that. And I'm like, oh, so you're you're playing your first single-player adventure game. That's fun. And I don't know. I think there's something to be said about watching people play games that we don't enable enough i don't know how as someone who doesn't really have a console at this point what do you feel like your relationship with games (laughs) is this point especially when it comes to missed triple missed connections i'm about i'm about to take out like an ad paper be like gamer for game I'm out here. I saw you. I saw you in GameStop. I saw you on the Target website. I saw you um, as I like briefly flipped off Amazon on Black Friday. Um, I'm here for you. But I saw you with that Zelda amiibo, and I just had to know. You right, were. exactly. And I was like, uh, I was like, dear, um, dear Princess Zelda, it's me. uh i'm sorry i passed you by let me know if you're interested in talking later no um 
I'm not really sure how they're also defining like accessibility. So that that was my yeah. big question here. And I'm maybe there's like a where there's a place where um like I know where there's that that the literal definition is recognizing software and or hardware that is pushing the medium forward by adding features, technology, and content to help games be played and enjoyed by an even wider audience. Um However, I'm not sure what specifically each of these games have done, having not played any of them. When it comes to this category, I'm most interested in what qualified them. And I don't seem to be able to find right. that on, on the Game Awards so website. I could talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, the Game Awards website is pretty yes. minimal, so you're not going to find it there. But I think I, um, looking at the innovation and accessibility category, um, just to kind of name the games here, um, there's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. There's Grounded, which is still in beta, I believe. Um, there's Hyperdot, Watch Dogs Legion, and The Last of Us Part Two. I played The Last of Us Part Two, as we talked about, pretty thoroughly. And that game has some really amazing accessibility options that really allows you to customize how you play the game. Um, I have the PlayStation blog open and I'm gonna run through some of these just for people so they know in case they haven't played the game. There are a billion options that you can really customize and really make the game your own. Um, one of the, some of those things, and I'll run through these really quickly. Um, there is a apply vision um, preset that changes the way that you kind of see the environment. So it's going to enable um, a high contrast display. It's going to make the HUD much bigger. There's going to be different um, ways that you sort of traverse through the game, there's going to be some options to, to, to maybe make the characters certain colors and so they stand out more in the environments and things like that, so that way the person can perceive them better. There's a skip puzzle option, so you can just not have to do any of the puzzles. There's accessibility presets for, for hearing, for motor accessibility, which there are a ton of those. Um, there's, um, there's an option, there are many options to remap the entire controller. One of the things that I do wish, that I do like about what Xbox is doing, which obviously you can't play The Last of Us on Xbox, um, they have a lot of accessibility controllers and things like that that you can kind of use. Whereas with the PlayStation controller, I think there are some inhibitions with that, and I don't know what all you can really do as far as using different controllers, but anything like that. But you can remap the entire controller, the entire DualShock controller, um, and do different mm -hmm. things with it. And... The, the control schemes are, are pretty intense because it also not even just remapping the buttons, but it's also how you use them. So with the holds and the presses and the toggles and things like that, you can choose those and you can, and you can modify them to what, you know, and then also with how you use your weapons, how you hold your breath when you're swimming, um, how you swap your weapons. There's so many different things that can be used to assist you and things like that. So it's not just difficulty options. And there's a whole bunch of other magnification and visual aids that options that are that are in there. There's things for motion sickness, which I talked about earlier, and a lot of different hints for traversing traversal and, and navigation and, and combat. This thing is dense. Um, I'll probably put it in the show notes if anybody's interested. But I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how we play games. And I'm going to talk about this before we kind of talk any any further, but. Being able to play that game and, and see those options and just messing around with them made me realize that there are certain things that I do differently when it comes to video games at this point 
because I think there are a lot of things to think about as far as with video games, there's this pressure to always win. Right. There's always this pressure to be in combat. And I think that that's an testament to, to, to what your experience has been with how you don't want to fight in video games anymore. Right. And that's a big thing for me too, because I feel like as I've gotten older and much more sensitive to things, you know, it's a little bit harder for me to just, I don't know, go out and kill people and things and stuff. And I'm really sensitive to that. And obviously the last of us too is a lot of that. But I think what's interesting is that it really opened my eyes to how games not only need more uh, people spearheading accessibility options and things like that, because I think we need to do to diffuse this idea that video games have to be experienced this one particular way, and they have to be because because then you're saying that it has to be experienced by these particular people who are you know maybe have more abilities than other people or you know people who do have disabilities can't play this game or they can't get past this part. I know for me as I'm getting older, I know that you know. My vision isn't as great as it used to. So when we got this tiny ass menu text on the screen, I can't read that. I want to enlarge it. Or, you know, something that we kind of talked about off the show was that I know for me and my reading comprehension skills, it's really hard for me to actually read words, even though I'm a mm-hmm. writer and shit. So I, I, the way that I receive that information is just different from everybody else. But because I've never had anyone tell me that or show me that, or I've never gotten to experience it, I didn't know. And I thought that was a shortcoming in me or that maybe I had some sort of disability that I wasn't aware of. And even if I do, a game like The Last of Us 2 does so much to make sure that, hey, how you experience this game is really up to you. And I think that's really dope. So hopefully that answers No, that's great. No, I I think like you've you've pretty much summarized how i feel about it is um that we really need to approach games as not one unifying experience um not like games overall i mean like one specific game like the last of us part two we need to not approach it as one uh, one type of experience that there are multiple um variations on the whole um it's it's a multifaceted experience depending on what you want out of it and i think it's great that they have all of these features and thank you for naming them because i had no idea um and it's like breath of the wild right right we talk so much about that game because you get to experience it on your own and when you see a game like that especially with seeing how other people are doing things so differently that opens up the game in such a way that it it, not that i think every game needs to do that especially with smaller experiences but man that game becomes it, it almost opens up this new way of environmental storytelling Yes. In in a very meta way. And I don't know that we have a term for it quite yet, but I think we're going to head in that direction. In the do, you wanna, do you want to coin that right now? I, I would love to. Um, I, I just don't really know that I could come up with anything off the top of my head, but I, I really do think that there is some, some meta environmental storytelling happening here because, hey, I experienced this thing this way. How did you experience it? I think there's something to be said about accessibility because I think people, when they hear that term too, they don't realize that accessibility is for everyone. And I think so many of the way, of the ways that we talk about how we play games is antiquated. And we got to think about that for the future. And I really hope that that's a conversation that's had more, especially in, in places like this and in, in spaces like the Game Awards. I hope that there's some sort of progressiveness with, within that, because as we're seeing something like this being a category, I think that's dope. 
And we need to not only just show that, hey, video games are doing this in a way that a lot of other things may not be able to because it is so interactive and it is so reliant on how you experience it. And that there's this this pushback from video games because we grew up in an era where we didn't even think about accessibility while we're playing Super Mario World and Super Nintendo or playing Pokemon on our Game Boy Colors. We didn't think about that stuff. And I don't know. I, I really want to look forward to the next generation that is just so privy on how we experience things, whether it be just being on the couch and watching somebody else play, which is a very viable way to play games, you know, mm-hmm. or if there are some modifications that you got to make in order for it to be enjoyable. And I, I've been playing a lot more games on story mode because I don't want to stress out about the game. I just want to kick back with, you know, at the end of the day and with a game and yeah. just enjoy it for what it is. And that's not a mark on whether or not I'm getting too old to play games on hard mode. It's like, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> um, and I don't have anything to prove, and I think that is some machoism or whatever. I don't know what. Mm, Kyle, I don't know. You were just talking about how you're old because a 15 year old kicked your butt in Mario Kart. I think you might just be. It was old. Smash Brothers. Thank you very much. But <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But no, I'm sorry. It would be a lot more dignified if a 15 year old kick your ass on uh, one point right, Mario, Mario Kart. I forgot about the the Disney job. We're not going to get into that right now because I'm already upset. So, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where. I'm enjoying the fact that I'm not putting pressure on myself to play games the way that I always have. And I think it's opening up new opportunities and more ways for me to actually look at video games. I think when we talk about um, accessibility, we have to talk about hardware. We have to talk about like console controllers, how we use the game, how we physically interact with the game, because this requires our physical presence. And we need to make that more accessible. We need to have... Um, not only do we have to have like controllers, um, that are, um, accessible for people with uh, physical disabilities or differences, we have to make them affordable because a decent part of, uh, accessibility is affordability. And like, while there are, um, different types of controllers that you can like 3d print, et cetera, 3d printing itself is not accessible. Although 3d printed items can be like less expensive because they can be DIY or DI by somebody else that you kind of know. Um, but like the the way that we physically interact with video games, the heads, the VR headsets, the the controllers, the I don't know whatever is going on with that like weird circle thing that they have for the Switch. Um, we really need to talk about making those more accessible because they require a very specific type of physicality um, and ability to move and find motor control um, and like phys- like we need to make sure that that's more accessible because it simply isn't. And if you don't have like fine motor control in your hands, um, or if you don't, if like, if you're missing uh, like limbs or, or fingers or whatnot, like your ability to play these games is at minimum, um, significantly more difficult and at maximum, like you simply cannot play it. Like for example, um, one of my friends broke both her wrists and like, doesn't have like fine motor in her hands and like this is not something that she could do realistically when i was looking for um like an accessible controller for my friend who wasn't um who wasn't able to move like most of her like her left hand i think at the time um i was looking at like controllers that she could use with her left hand with the like control that she did have and they were like three hundred dollars and it was nuts um so we i think we also need to keep that i need to go fund me page to play some damn video games 
if we are not designing games specifically to be accessible to a wider range of people, we are defaulting to the cishet, like able-bodied white male, um, which is currently the default in so many things, video games included. And we, I just, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of it. And we just need to, we need to recognize as a society that like we have to design for everyone. Otherwise, what the fuck is the point? Exactly. So, do you have a game of the year, Nina? My game of the year might be Later Daters. Um, okay. I've I've talked about this extensively. Um, I've written a couple of articles about Later Daters. If um, if if you know my writing, and I am just when we're talking about diversity, I'm thrilled that it exists. Um, as I've mentioned, I haven't played part two, so don't at me and don't spoil it, but, um, it's, it's a great game. It's, I think it calls itself a sexy senior dating sim. You play a new senior citizen who's going to, um, ye old retirement home. And, uh, it's about like what dating looks like for, if you're older, um, if you're like in, in the elderly population and they did a lot of research they, um, I talked to Miriam Vanderberg, who's uh, one of the creators, and she talked about all of the like personal interviews that she did with senior citizens and how like those personal stories were incorporated to be uh, into the game to keep it authentic. And how, um, like once you've hit some of those milestones, like, like you often feel very freed from those, um, like very regimented expectations of what relationships look like. And, um, it's just so interesting and reassuring. And like life doesn't end at 30 or 40 or 50. And it just shows like the very vibrant lives of senior citizens in a way that I think is very um, rare to see portrayed. But it also deals um, with like death and end of life and family and, um, you know, being elderly. And uh, but in like this fun way that you wouldn't in a way you wouldn't necessarily see. Um, So I'm just really thrilled that it exists. I think it's a fun game um, and it's super diverse and uh, hits a lot. It just hits a lot of it checks a lot of the boxes that I always look for. What about you, Kyle? Uh, I think it is without a doubt the last was part (laughs) two. But I think the game that also left a huge impression on me, even though I actually didn't finish it because um, I just didn't have the chance to, but I definitely want to spend some time with it once I'm able to play Windows games on my new BlackBook Pro, if you will, <laughs> um, is a game called Umurangi Generation. Ooh. It is a photography game Ooh. about this post-apocalyptic world. It 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 has a really dope soundtrack a really great art style it's essentially a game that i think i'm going to look back on and think about how as someone who would love to get into game design for real at some point in his life i think this is going to be one of those games that i look back on as far as an impression it's not your 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 mom and dad's Pokemon Snap for sure. <laughs> but it's also not like it's a survival horror game. It's very colorful. It's very vibrant. And it feels more like a Jet Set Radio kind of vibe to it. The developer um, said that the thematic inspiration was the Australian brush fires. And just wow. how the government's terrible response to it was the basis of the story. So... Again, feels very timely given the fact that, you know, 
our officials and leaders have failed us so much in this world. Uh, Especially this it, year. Yeah, and I think I think there was something strangely sobering about the game, and I think about it a lot, and I highly recommend everyone go check it out. Umarangi Generation, it is on Steam, available on PC. I think it's supposed to drop on Switch eventually. I'm hoping that that will happen, but I haven't heard anything about that. But So, yeah, those are my games of the year. If you will, I should say that now that you've mentioned that Leader Daters is by Bloom Digital and is available on Nintendo Switch and on Steam for both Windows and Mac. Hey, go uh, play it! Nice, yay, yay! I can play it now. So, Mina, where can people find you on the interwebs? People can find me on Twitter at Mina underscore rank. That's M I N A underscore R E I N C K. Kyle, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kyle Literally. And also, the podcast can be found on Twitter and Instagram at SQEcast. Thank you so much for listening, uh, Mina. Thank you for joining in this lovely conversation. Kyle, thank you for hosting. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I love you, listener. I love you too. And remember, say thank you in advance for what's already yours. Put